that time again. Another episode. Mavericks and Misfits. Want to say hey to everybody that is tuning in. I think this is episode 124 of Mavericks and Misfits. And um, I doubt very seriously there's anybody that has heard all 123 of the previous episodes. If you can honestly say that you've done that, email me at jeff at maverickmisfit.com and I will send you a, um, a prize. Yep, but you have to be honest. And if you lie about it, you'll be smitten with emeralds. And you can look in the Bible and figure out what that means. But if there's a single person that has actually listened to all 123 previous episodes, then email me this week and I will I will figure out a way to bless you. Um, for those of you that have only listened to one or two or 122 of them, you don't qualify, but I still love you, okay? All right, great. So uh, today I want to follow up on the same kind of train of thought that we were, we were kind of uh, wrestling through on, in the last episode. And if you didn't listen to the last episode, you don't have to in order to benefit from this one, but they're two sides of the same coin. The um, episode from last week uh, really kind of mined down into what Jesus taught in Matthew 5 about um, us loving our enemies. And we dealt with that thing called the lex talionis, which is the Latin phrase that means law of retaliation, and how that to be a Jesus follower, you had to basically renounce your right to retaliate even justly and of course I told you what it meant but I didn't tell you all the things that it doesn't mean and I know it generates a lot of questions and people say well what about this scenario and if somebody's punching me in the face does it apply to that or if I'm being abused do I have to sit there and take it of course not of course Jesus isn't telling you to never defend yourself physically when you're in harm or to remain in a situation that is um, you know, physically dangerous to you. Um, that's not what the message was about. Uh, what the message was about is when you are slighted, when you are humiliated, when you are slandered, when you are reduced by the intentional efforts of somebody else to come against you, you, as a, G- a Jesus follower, are called to love that person and pray for that person, but you're not allowed by Jesus to match their nastiness and to do the eye for the eye, tooth for the tooth thing. And uh, I thought it was a really interesting podcast, very challenging, so you can go back and listen to it. It's last week's, um, I think I called it The Impossible Love. So today I want to give you the other side of that coin, which is going to be talking about us uh, being those who are forgiven by Jesus Christ, therefore being those who will be forgiving in Jesus Christ. And I think um, one of the things that a lot of us forget um, is that as we have been forgiven um, in Christ, we are to lavishly forgive others. Um, and so I think that oftentimes we miss the the imperative there, that it's not an option. Um it's verses like Colossians 3.13 that literally tells you, bear with one another and forgive one another, and as you have been forgiven, you must forgive them. It actually says, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive them. And um, wow, guys, I mean, that's that's pretty intense kind of stuff. Then it's, it's not hard to understand. It may be hard to obey. But it's not hard to understand. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And so the implication is, is if you don't forgive, there is some measure, some some dynamic where you are living in some state of unforgiveness. And um, guys, I mean, I just think 
I think, uh, what was the other one? I know he said in Colossians 3.13, um, some, it's in Ephesians 4, down near the end of the chapter in Ephesians 4, he says the same thing. He, he tells us to be kind to each other and tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. So where are you on that spectrum? Where are you on the spectrum of forgiving others as in the same manner at the same level that God has forgiven you? Most of us don't um, have an easy time with that. Um, most of us do not give forgiveness uh, to other people with the same eagerness by, with which we receive forgiveness from God. And so you know the chapter, right? You know the chapter in the Bible that talks about forgiveness and restoration is, is Matthew 18. And um, that that passage of scripture, that chapter, actually gives us instructions about what do we do when somebody sins against us. It tells us that we go privately to that person. We tell them their sin. If they repent, it's over. It's kept between you and the person that sinned against you. If they don't repent, you take another person with you, and you both speak to that person about where they've sinned. And if they repent then, then, hey, you're in good shape. Nobody else has to know about it. It's been restored. But if the person refuses to forgive, excuse me, repent, refuses to repent, then the Bible actually says you tell it to the church. Like when they've sinned against you, they won't repent. You've gone yourself. You've taken one or two others with you to to confront them. And if they choose not to repent and, and humble themselves and come into the process of restoration and forgiveness, then you actually, I mean, it's a strong sense, but you're actually called by God to excommunicate that person. That means you break fellowship off with them and you do so publicly. So this is not a small matter. And um, we're not the exception to the rule. So I'm going to give you a big statement here, and I'm going to talk a little bit about some other things in Matthew 18. But here's the big statement. And let's just see, you know, I'm going to let you just kind of soak in this. The will of God is for you and I to forgive everybody for everything. I'm going to say it again because you just kind of choked on your coffee there. The will of God is for you and I to forgive everybody for everything. That's the will of God in our lives. We are to forgive every person for everything all the time. And there is no exception to the rule. There's nowhere, anywhere in scripture where Jesus or any of the apostles tell you, here's a situation where you don't have to forgive somebody. And as a matter of fact, it says, not only do you forgive them, you forgive them as you have been forgiven. So you have to understand how you've been forgiven by God. You've been forgiven on the basis, your part, you've been forgiven of confession and repentance. So godly sorrow, repentance, confession, and, and when, when we come to the Lord in that kind of heart posture, God forgives us on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so the conditions for us forgiving are that when, when a person asks for it, we are to forgive them immediately and fully, no probation, full pardon. Now, of course, you're going to have situations where the person never does ask for it. And we might say, ha ha, <laughs> they didn't ask for it. I don't have to forgive them. That's actually not true. In order for you to be restored to that person, they have to do their part. But in order for you to forgive that person, all that has to happen is for you to do your part. It means you release them in your heart from judicial guilt. You say, as God has forgiven me, 
I forgive them. And let me just ask you, do you think you've ever committed any sins that you were ignorant of against God that he has put under the blood without you even being aware that you came beneath his holy standard? Has there ever been a single word that you might have said that you said it in the moment, forgot about it, never asked for forgiveness? Does that mean you're unforgiven and you're going to hell? And of course not, because it's all under the blood. And so we are to be lavishly forgiving just as the Lord has forgiven us. Do you remember in Matthew 18 where Peter, Peter always, you know, I think he, he, he typically had the right motivation, but his mouth was often far ahead of his spirit. And so Peter comes up to Jesus in Matthew 18, down around verse 20, 21. And he says to Jesus, Lord, how often when my brother sins against me, do I have to forgive him? And then Peter says, how about this, Lord? How about I forgive him seven times? Lord, if, if John sins against me seven times in a row, I think I should forgive him seven times. Is that right, Lord? And, and of course, in their culture, that would have been a stretch. Like to forgive somebody seven times in that culture would have been like very gracious and very generous. And so Peter's thinking, hey, Lord, watch this. I, I feel like I can be generous and gracious and merciful. I'm going to forgive my brother, whether it's, you know, John or somebody else. But I'm going to forgive John seven times if he sins against me seven times. And Jesus said to him, nice try. <laughs> nice try, Peter. Hey, Peter, think on this. I'm not saying that you do it seven times. I'm saying do it 70 times seven. Peter and you can do the math, that's 490, but Jesus wasn't saying 490 forgiveness, and then if they do it a 491st time, you don't have to forgive them. What, what Jesus is saying is, Peter, stop counting. It's easier to do math than it is to forgive. So Peter, stop counting. You are to be living with a heart open to perpetual forgiveness. And then Jesus immediately launches into this, this cool parable that actually helps you and I understand the picture of what it means for us to be potentially forgiven by God, but refusing to forgive other people. And so let, let me read you that parable out of Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle the accounts, one servant was brought to him who owed him a thousand talents. Just let's just say $10 million. It's a ton of money. It's an unpayable debt. And so the king has a servant that owes him an unpayable debt. And since, verse 25 of Matthew 18, since he could not pay, his master ordered that servant to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and for payment to be made. So just real quick here, Jesus reveals in, in talking about what, what I just read to you, we are the servant that owed a debt to the king of kings that we could never pay. And we are worthy of imprisonment, incarceration, and the complete loss of liberty and freedom, which would, in this illustration, represent we are worthy to be condemned and imprisoned by our debt. And so, in other words, when you make it about sin, Jesus is saying, I'm the king. Your sin debt is unpayable by you. You owe me everything, and you rightly deserve to lose everything, including your life for the wages of sin is death. You are utterly incapable of paying back what you owe me 
as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You violated with even one sin, but all of us have a history of sins that we've committed. And every single one of those sins is unpayable by us. In other words, the penalty for one infraction of God's holy nature and holy law, the penalty for that is spiritual separation from God forever and ever in a place that the Bible defines as the lake of fire. That's what, that's what you and I deserve, literally. If God were fair, not gracious, but fair, that means you and I would forever be in the lake of fire because we have sinned against God. It's an unpayable debt. So that's what Jesus is, is illustrating there in the beginning of that. And so when the servant hears, back in Matthew 18, he hears that he's, he and his wife and his children, everything's about to be sold so that payments can begin to be made, even though they'll never be paid off. Verse 26 in Matthew 18 says, the servant fell on his knees, begging the king, saying, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And then the master has pity on him and released him and forgave him all of his debt. So there you have a picture of forgiveness. So there comes that time in our life, again, we're that servant and we recognize we have an unpayable debt. We owe, we owe, we owe, we'll never pay it off. We're at the complete mercy of the king. And so we beg, in a sense, when we're confessing our sin and we're saying, Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I believe that your death on the cross has atoned for my sin. I place myself before you and your mercy. Please have mercy on me. I'll never be able to pay that off my sin. And as the master, the king, had uh, mercy on his servant, um, the, the Lord has mercy on me and you. And as the, the king released him and forgave him the debt, just forgave the whole debt. Like that's huge, 10,000 talents, an incalculable sum of money. And that king looks on this begging man who will never pay it back. And the king says, I forgive you every dime of it. I'll take, I'll take the hit. I'll suffer the loss. I'm going to let you go free. It's going to cost me what you owe, but you're the, you're the servant upon whom I'm going to have mercy. So you're free. So guys, that's you. That's you, my Christian friend. You were that servant who was rocking and rolling along in life until one day you found out you're a sinner against a holy God and the payment for your sin is death and separation from him in the lake of fire. You said, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me. I can't pay it off, but I trust in Jesus Christ who has paid my debt. I receive him as the Lord of my life and the master. And God says, based on your confession, my son, and your plea for mercy as you repented, I will take your debt and place it upon my son. It'll cost him everything, but you get to go free. Now that's a moment where you should say, hallelujah. What a, what a savior, what an amazing King, how merciful, how gracious, how forgiving, how kind. Oh my goodness. I am so blessed. He could have damned me forever, but look, instead of damning me, he's pardoned me instead of a lake of fire. I'm now going to get paradise instead of being a, a, a condemned and damned child of, of wrath. I'm going to be a pardoned and received child of God because my debt was forgiven. Like that's what salvation is, man. You had a debt you couldn't pay. Jesus paid it and you went free. And so the normal reasonable and spiritual response to a person having received that amazing pardon would be that you would then become merciful like the one 
who set you free. You'd become gracious like the one who set you free. You would become forgiving towards others who may owe you because what you owed has been paid, right? Well, go further in the parable and you find out that this guy who just got forgiven everything did not respond that way. So it says in Matthew 18, 28, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So that's a very manageable sum of money that this man was owed. It's a very small sum of money compared to the 10,000 talents that he owed his master. And so the servant who'd been forgiven everything, it says in verse 28, that he seized that other servant, grabbed him by the throat, began to choke him, the Bible says, saying, pay me what you owe me. All right. You reading that or hearing me read it, you know that's wrong. That dude can't do that. He just got forgiven all of that sum that he owed the king and the king just forgave him everything. And now he leaves that moment that he received mercy and grace and forgiveness of his debt. And he goes out and finds somebody just like him who owed him next to nothing. And he grabs the dude by the throat and says, you better pay me what you owe me. Now, you, you and I both know we immediately see how wrong that is. How could a person that's just been forgiven a massive amount of money walk out of that room and find a dude that owes him money on the street corner and threaten to kill him unless he pays? Well, the guy, his fellow servant, couldn't pay the debt. Matter of fact, verse 29 says, so the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you what I owe. And that's the exact kind of plea that the first servant made when he was forgiven all his debt. So he's getting asked to do what he himself just asked that king to do. The king said yes when he begged for mercy. Now he's got somebody in his presence that owes him that's begging for mercy. And the Bible says that he refused and went and put him in prison until he paid all the debt. All right, you know, you know exactly what this teaches. You and I know, man, that is so completely jacked up. How could anybody who's been forgiven that amount of money turn around and refuse to forgive somebody that owes them comparatively much less? And that's kind of the moral of the story. So going a little bit further, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported back to the king all that had taken place. Then the king, the master, summoned him and said to him, you're a wicked servant. I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The king is outraged. The king is saying, what is wrong with you? You just got your life back. You just got your debt forgiven. You just got freed. You just got a gift from me that I didn't have to give you. I was gracious to you. I was merciful to you. Your inability to pay your debt cost me the king. And you leave my presence and go out to somebody that owes you much less than what you owed me. And you're going to put that person in the prison, not forgiving their small debt to you. 
And the master, the king, called him wicked. I mean, it was the mercy moment was over. And he challenged that man. And then in verse 34, it says, And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay everything that he had owed. And then Jesus says this, and you just got to let your Bible say what it says. You just got to let the son of God, you know, he's not, he's not on trial here. Listen to what Jesus said. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart, Jesus just told you what the whole parable was. And so Jesus is saying this. You and I who have been forgiven everything have zero right to withhold from for, uh, forgiveness from those who have wronged us. Jesus ain't playing. God the Father ain't playing. Holy Ghost ain't playing. When you and I eagerly, gladly, gratefully receive the mercy, grace, compassion, and pardon through the forgiveness of God based on Jesus's sacrifice for us. When we receive that, the nature of Christ comes to live inside of us and in cooperating with the nature of Christ. And that comes through the person of the Holy spirit. We become forgivers. We who have been forgiven become forgiving. It's just the spiritual law. And so, but we have the ability to quench the spirit. We have the ability to get um, forgiveness amnesia and forget everything that God has done for us. And we can start operating with a sense of that person owes me. I ain't about to forgive them. They took something from me. They did something to me. They sinned against me. They wronged me. And that is unjust and unfair. And if they think I'm just going to let that go and forgive them, they got another thing coming. Um, I'm just going to risk it. It's highly likely all of you have felt that way, whether you acted on it or not. There's probably been a time in your life where you're like, I don't want to forgive her. I ain't going to forgive that dude. You don't know what they did to me, Jeff. I don't have to forgive them anything. Now I'm going to be very careful here, but I'm also going to be very clear. The worst thing ever done to you or to me is still not as great of a debt owed as to what we've done to Christ. You, you may not feel that, but theologically it's true. And the reason why is because you and I are fellow servants to sin, just like the men in the parable. They were all fellow servants. That's why that phrase was used. It puts them all on the same level. So servant on servant crime, hear me on this, is not as egregious as servant to master crime. So our sins against God, against Jesus Christ, are worse simply by the fact, by nature of the fact, that he deserves 100% full glory, full obedience, full holiness from our lives towards him. So when we fail in that area, our sin against him is greater than anybody else's sin against us by simple fact of the, the reality that Jesus is the one being sinned against. And so when you put the equation into play, when we refuse to forgive other people that have hurt us as in the same way that we've been forgiven by God through Christ, then we're doing the same thing this guy did. We're taking them by the throat and we're saying, pay me what you owe me. 
And our king, our king, Jesus, it's his parable. He's representing himself with this master. He's technically representing God the Father. But he, he, he's angry. You get me? The Bible says the master in the parable was angry and called the unforgiving one wicked. He called him wicked. And then he puts him in a place called prison, a debtor's prison. And he says, your debt is not forgiven if you don't forgive others. Now, that's a pretty cryptic teaching. Um, there's some layers to that. Some people would say that if you don't forgive people, you lose your salvation. That's not what the Bible teaches. But the Bible is teaching this, that one of two things. If you live with a perpetually unforgiving spirit, it is highly likely you've never actually experienced the power of God's forgiveness on your life. It may very well be a mark that you've never been born again if you live with a refusal to forgive. Because any sin that we protect, we guard, we claim our right to indulge, any sin, whether it's unforgiveness or if it's, you know, alcoholism or if it is, you know, one of the other countless number of sins. If our attitude is we have a right to protect this sin and keep this sin in our life. And in this case, it's talking about unforgiveness. That is indicative. That's evidence that that's a person who's never been born again. A person doesn't lose their salvation when they hold on to sin. It's evidence that they were never born again. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. It's when God said, these people are near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So maybe they said that Jesus come into my heart prayer. Maybe they sing the songs. Maybe they preach the sermon. Maybe they worship on the worship team. Maybe they, you know, are an intercessor, but in their heart of hearts, they're refusing to forgive somebody that did them wrong. Jesus indicates on some level that one of the possibilities is that may be evidence that you've never been born again and you're going to be called the wicked servant and you're going to be imprisoned. It's heavy. You know, you just got to let your Bible say what it says. You know, I'm not here to apologize for the heavy stuff in scripture. I'm here to proclaim it and, and welcome you to wrestle through it like I have to wrestle through it. The, the other thing could be this, this, maybe this is referring to a genuinely born again person who is struggling to forgive, knowing it's the right thing to do, but struggling, fearing they're all caught up in the, you know, the, the, the briars and the thorns of what does it mean to forgive the person that deeply hurt me? Am I letting them off the hook? And they haven't done that immediate forgiveness. And what, what one of the writers talks about is being that, that person, this unforgiving servant gets turned over to the tormentors. And the tormentors, of course, in Jesus's day would have been the people that run the prison and they would beat the prisoners and they would afflict and sometimes torture the prisoners. And there's a certain reality. This is undeniable that a person who is um, living with bitterness and unforgiveness and refusing to forgive that person's tormented. Like it's an open door. Bitterness is an open door for the demonic. It is a magnet to demonic activity. They, they thrive off of unforgiveness and bitterness and they will plague you and demonize you. And it is a fair amount of torture. People are paranoid. People are fearful. People are hostile. People are angry. People rage or people get depressed. And all of that can be attached to 
um, in the life of somebody who's unforgiving. It's just attached to their unwillingness to let the other person go free, just like Jesus let them go free. And so what it does is it promotes this thing in the heart of a person where they're imprisoned in one sense or another. So none of these things are like jolly thoughts, ho, ho, ho. Um, these are things that just compel us as we approach the end of the age, like to search your heart today. And no matter what you think or what you feel, no matter whether the person is living or that person has passed away, the one that did you wrong, you make declarations that in honor of the one who has forgiven you everything, you will be a forgiver of all people for anything they've done to you. And I'm going to tell you, um, I've been tested on that so many times, it's impossible to count. I'm not a victim by any means, but you live your life for Jesus. People are eventually going to do you wrong on some level. And I just value my own soul enough not to let the root of bitterness get down in me because it defiles everything. And so when, when somebody does me wrong, the first thing I do is I say, God, give me your heart for that person, lest I treat them and view them only through the lens of how they failed me or hurt me or sinned against me. And so when I can get God's heart on them, I'm able to say, oh, Colossians 3.13, Ephesians 4.32, I must forgive that person now in the same exact way that God forgave me, which is lavishly. And he forgives and he never brings it up again. And that is, my friends, well beyond the status quo of Christianity. Mavericks and Misfits is about coming out of status quo Christianity. And that, that to, to be forgiving like Jesus is to come out of status quo Christianity because most Christians won't tell you that this is true. They will saddle up right next to you and reassure you that you have the right to remain bitter and unforgiving. And Jesus, represented by the angry king, <laughs> Um, in his own parable, God, the father actually represented by the angry king, Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, God, the father will treat you in some way in the same manner that the angry king treated the unforgiving servant. Now you may not like that, but that's exactly what Jesus said. So what do you do with that? Well, instead of trying to figure out why you, man, I don't know about that, Jeff. I think I got the right to be unforgiving for this person because of what they did. Instead of trying to, you know, do gymnastics to bend over backwards to find out why this message doesn't apply to you. Why don't you just not waste the time and just say, in the name of Jesus, I forgive that person right now. I don't feel it. I'm not understanding why they haven't even apologized, but I am going to set my own soul free from the torment. I'm going to forgive them. God, you take care of that. I bless my enemies in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that have mistreated me. I ask you, Lord, make them blessable. You want to pray something over the one that has hurt you? Pray that. Make them blessable. You know why I pray that? Because in order for somebody to be blessable by God, they got to be broken before God. And so you're actually play, praying a blessing on them, but you know, in order for that prayer to come true, they got to get broken. And so it leaves the vengeance to God. It looks out for the highest good of that person. When you're praying, bless them, Lord, make them blessable. That's actually what they need. But man, if you hold on to that bitterness, you're saying to the Lord, I appreciate everything you did for me, Jesus, what it cost you. Thank you for giving for, for forgiving every one of my sins. But Lord, I'm sure you understand. I'm not forgiving this person. I'm not going to forgive them at all. They owe me. And then I don't have to re-preach the parable. You know what it says. So who do you need to forgive? Um, when do you need to do it? 
like five minutes ago, 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, whenever the Holy Spirit started dealing with you, the podcast is over, but man, the message is just, it just hangs on us because you're going to have a chance to do this again tomorrow. And the next day people are going to hurt you and offend you and fail you and sin against you all throughout the rest of your life. And you just got to be free of bitterness. So you don't end up in the tormentor's prison. All right. Heavy duty stuff on Mavericks and Misfits today. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, go to transformingtruth.org. Um, I appreciate if you would rate and review this podcast. Lots of you have so grateful for that because it just, that's the only thing I really ever ask of our audience. I've never asked you for a dime to help support it, but I do ask you to rate and review it. It takes literally two minutes of your time on iTunes or Spotify. You give a rate and a review Tell people, hey, this is how it's helped me. Or if you hate this podcast, <laughs> you can be honest and, and say, can't stand it. Jeff told me I had to forgive everybody for everything. I'm just saying, help us enlarge our digital footprint. We reach more people that way. Don't understand how all of that stuff works. But the smart people tell me the more ratings and reviews you get, the more chance you're going to get to reach more people. So do that for me, okay? Take two minutes of your time. Say, hey, this is what I think. And invite other people to listen to it. And we'll drop a new episode every Tuesday. And until then, we'll talk to you next time. God bless you. And God has forgiven you. So you're going to forgive others. We'll see you. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? His life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.